Recording in progress. Mm, yeah. Oh. Mm. Check it out, baby. Make it hot, baby. kind of horny conventional methods of making love kind of bore me yeah. i want to knock your block off get my rocks off blow your socks off make sure your g-spot's soft i'ma call your big daddy and scream your name matter of fact i can't wait for your candy rain morning good afternoon good evening welcome to another edition of this is recorded podcast i'm joined here with a mentor a scholar a helper in the community a teacher and an overall good person may you please introduce yourself Hi, good morning, Reggie. Thank you for that introduction. Um, my name is Tammy Hatcher. I am um, currently the program coordinator for the Central Sterile Supply Program at Southern Crescent Technical College. Um, I've taught both in surgical technology and Central Sterile. I've been at the college for over 15 years, but I've been in education um, for over 21 years in surgical technology. Nice, nice. So now it is well, first of all, where are you from? Where did you grow up at? I am originally from um, Hartford, Connecticut. Um, grew up in a small town in a suburb of Hartford called Bloomfield, Connecticut. Um, and uh, been there pretty much until my husband and I were married. Mm-hmm. Nice. Now, now, it is the summertime. What is a favorite summer memory, I guess, from childhood and a favorite summer memory from adulthood? Oh, gosh. Favorite summer memories from childhood would be um, um, growing up in Connecticut, going to our local community pool um, during the day to escape the heat because living in the Northeast, a lot of our homes didn't have AC. So that was our little bit of an escape. And um, road trips to Florida um, to see my grandparents would be our biggest, my biggest summer memories. And as an adult, I would have to say um, the trip that my husband and I took our kids to, to Hawaii. Wow. Wow. Now, when you went as a child, you were driving from Connecticut? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. How long is that drive? Forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The halfway point would probably be at the south of the border. Um, south of the yeah. border. Famous landmark for people that live yes. on the East Coast. Yes. Horrible. Long. So about 23, 24 hours. Yeah, it was a long ride. Okay, so there was no technology really back in the day. Even when I was younger, we we know you're 21, but even when I was younger, (laughs) you know, we only had the radio and stuff like that. And maybe you could bring a comic book or something. So, what would you do to keep yourself occupied in that time? Oh God! So first of all, we had to listen to my dad's uh, eight-track music tapes of Barry White and. Teddy Pendergrass the, the whole way down on eight tracks and it repeated over and over and over between that my sister and I in the back seat fussing with each other and uh um, just taking in the scenery so that's pretty much all we had yeah would you sleep a lot I guess I love oh, of course yes I love to sleep in the car so I would just go to sleep most of the time <laughs> and fight over who had to have the cooler in the back with them uh, so <laughs> yeah yeah and it's just like 
when you're on those long trips, it's like you wake up and you like, I'm still on this road. I'm like, yeah, oh, absolutely. And, you know, we would go from Virginia to New York, and that's only six hours, and I would feel like this is eternity. I could only imagine how it was for you. Oh, it was an eternity. It felt like it. Yeah, it felt, it, it, for sure. It seems like it definitely was an eternity. Uh, so we talked a little. That's one of my questions. We talked a little bit <laughs> about music, but so growing up, you said Teddy Pendergrass, Barry White. What was some of the first music you think you were introduced to as a child? Like some of the first songs you remember as a kid? Oh gosh, hmm. I don't know. I couldn't even think of any without trying to um, sing off the top of my head, which we're not going to do that today. (laughs) But yeah, it was, um, I I don't know. I'd really have to think about a a name in particular, but yeah. But Teddy Pendergrass, but in your household, I guess what was being the Teddy Pendergrass, stuff like that. But in your household, I guess, what was some songs maybe played around the house? You know, especially in the black community, like cleaning up on the weekends, you hear certain songs. Oh, you'd hear, we'd hear the Commodores, um, Teddy P. Oh gosh, you're making me go way back. You (laughs) you put me on the spot here, Reggie. I'd have to go back to my playlist and actually find the names of some of those songs because I don't remember off the top of my head. If I hear them, I can sing them to you. Okay, okay. And we're not going to make you sing now. Do Do you remember some of the first songs you got into on your own? Like when you got into music by yourself, what was some of your favorite artists? Well, I can tell you my favorite artist to this day and still probably will always remain. In I think I know. L- you know who it is. Is it L- Todd L- Smith? Is it Todd, <laughs> Todd Smith. Todd yes. Smith. Favorite Todd Smith song today? Because I know that's hard. Oh, gosh. Um, probably doing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I actually went to the restaurant to try to find him there one day. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) juniors but he wasn't there of course i'm telling you you know uh mines is around the way girl that's like the one of the first videos i was born in 87 so that was like one of the first videos i remember vividly around around the way girl in hip-hop array those were some of the first like videos Mm -hmm. as a kid growing up in new york that i remember but around the way girl was definite and people don't know about ll he used to dance a lot back in the day like he danced uh you jingling baby he was really dancing and that party seemed yeah. really fun but- yeah i can remember going to see him in connecticut in new haven at a concert and um my husband and i who was my boyfriend at the time we were dressed alike and um um he was playing up he was saying i'm bad and i was like oh my god i'm in love with this man i would love to meet but um yeah i'm still a fan i listen to him almost every day still ll is the man man shout out to uncle l shout out to the whole queens now growing (laughs) up what did you want to be growing up because you know what you want to be growing up and what actually happens is a big old difference so did you have any idea yeah so growing up i used to uh aspired to be an accountant. So a lot of my classes that I took in high school, I had a great accounting teacher, um, Mr. Barcher in high school, and he, um, I took a lot of his accounting classes. So that was actually my path when I graduated high school. But I quickly realized after about the first year that that was not for me. Um, I had an opportunity to um, watch a demonstration of a surgery. Um, It was a mock surgery and it was done in a mall. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is interesting. I could see myself doing that. So 
that kind of started my whole path career change from accounting to surgical technology. Wow. Now, so obviously you're not squeamish at all with blood. I am not the blood guy at all. I can't no. see blood. No, but that first initial um, case that I did once I started in the operating room, I realized at that point this was the make it or break it. And so when they made that first incision and I saw that blood, it hit me for a minute. I was like, whoa, can I do this? But then I was like, I got this. This is pretty cool. So um, it's been a journey since then. Now, it is interesting. Definitely. Like uh, even some things like architecture, like for me, I guess when I seen people's houses being built and, you know, like uh, my in-laws house being built i just realized like wow this is pretty amazing how they take dirt a plot and just turn it into something so i would imagine like surgery is like these people are broken or they have things messed up and then all of a sudden it's just like they heal them so that's got to be interesting as well i just don't love blood <laughs> like that. No. i mean i think sometimes you have to think of the greater good of why you're there and the outcomes of um are part of the team does in making successful patient um, outcomes or to preserve the quality of life for them. So although we're not actually cutting, but we're there and we're part of healing for yeah. them. So I think that helps. Um, it's, it's rewarding from that regard. Definitely. Like, and I would feel that way as well. Like, I would have to have a pep talk with myself like, hey, we got to hold it together because this is yeah. not about you. It's about them, them. getting mm -hmm. healed. Now, have you ever seen somebody have brain surgery or heart surgery? I have. Whoa. I have. Mm -hmm. I've been in both. Those are not my favorites. They're not my specialties. Um, but I have been in procedures where both of them have been performed. Wow. Now, for brain, how does that work? to heal that and get in there? Well, I mean, it depends on on the patient's obvious um, 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 disease or pathology or whatever their underlying diagnosis is as to what you would be doing. But sometimes it's something simple as just an aneurysm. Yeah. It's something as simple as a um, hematoma. Uh, which is a blood clot. Sometimes you get little kids that are falling off bikes with no helmets. They bump their head. They develop subdural hematomas. And then others are obviously more invasive for people that have um, cancers or tumors. Um, it was not my specialty, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, the only times that I've actually been able to be an active surgical technologist during craniotomies would be for emergencies because I work the evening shift. So most of them that I were involved in were for like subdural hematomas. Um, but the more invasive, bigger procedures were typically left for the day team that had um, more experience on a daily basis with performing those types of cases. Now, do they cut into your head and look at your brain? Is that how it works? They do. It depends. If it's just a, for a blood clot, that um, it's more of a, a burr hole, just a smaller hole, just to evacuate. But if it's something for um, a tumor, yes, they do. Wow, that they is can, interesting. Yeah, they can remove a portion of the scalp, um, obviously under microscope. They do a lot of the work and they can look at um, um, the areas of the brain and, and remove tumors um, if needed. Wow. 
science or, is or rather amazing. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I think a lot of us take that for granted is because it's like we grow up and we do certain things to our bodies and do all this damage to it. But it's like inside, it does a lot of amazing stuff for us ungrateful human beings that just abuse our bodies and treat them so bad. Yeah, our bodies are amazing gift of God. And we don't um, realize that um, um, to some degree it's a machine. So we have to take care of it. Um, And if we don't, unfortunately, just like anything else, a vehicle, if we don't take care of it, we don't put the right gas or do the right maintenance, it begins to to, uh, diminish. And and rebel against us. Yeah, it's not going to. We're going to have, you know, we're born with these beautiful Mercedes of a body and stuff like that. And then over time, it's like we treat it like a hoopty. We just put bad gas in it. We don't take it. We don't clean her up no more. We don't do all this good stuff to it. But, yeah, I always thought that was interesting. Like, when you really think about all the stuff that your body is doing, it's like, it's pretty amazing. But we walk around with it every day. So, it's like we don't care like my main thing too is like for women like yourself is so amazing we take it for granted every day we think about superheroes what happens when a woman has a baby is pretty amazing <laughs> and it's pretty like uh, almost alien like when you think about the idea of like you think of people flying and you think that's amazing a woman having a baby is pretty amazing like a whole body structure these hands and eyes and nose and everything is developed inside of you and then it comes out and then mm-hmm. just into the world. Like I really think we all take that for granted a lot on how women do an amazing like if we see people fly every day, we'd be like, Oh, that's normal. People having babies is pretty amazing and like <laughs> as yeah, supernatural as you can get. Like, whoa, this is amazing. It is. It is. It's a great gift. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So school, how did you go about choosing a school that you want to go to? Oh, gosh. Oh, so that was a totally different path. Um, So I graduated from high school at the age of 17 and um, I chose a four year college. I was madly in love with my boyfriend, who's my husband at the time, but I chose a school um, to be near him, which I don't advise any 17 year old to do that. Um, But that's what I did at the time. And um, that's why I ended up. I ended up at an HBCU um, attendant there and realized, um, as I said before, accounting was not for me. And I found something that was for me. So I I ended up. going to ended up moving back home actually for a short time back to Connecticut and I got a job with a podiatrist who allowed me to work in his office and he kind of also confirmed that the path of surgical technology was for me because I was able to work with him um, hands-on he began to show me how he did little things in the office sterilize I got to watch him do some minor um, procedures in office and so after those experiences, um, it solidified that I wanted to be a surgical tech. So I ended up going back to school in Florida to be near my boyfriend or husband now. <laughs> so I went back to Florida and then I joined a surgical technology program there. So um, that's how it started for me. Um, I worked as a surgical tech for many, many years. Um, and then as an adult, um, 
I went back to school and got my bachelor's and master's degree. And that's amazing. And that's something, you know, uh, we have me and my wife, we have some young, her brother and stuff like that. And we have nephews and they're in that younger age coming out of high school that's 17, 18. And you just have these, you know, you have a girlfriend or you have something and at the time when you're in it, you don't realize like, hey, this is going to shape your life. You sure. are shaping mm-hmm. your life depending on somebody else. In your case, you're in the one percent. It seems like <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. Where, yeah. But it's like it's hard to navigate how to talk to a child that's madly in love. Like, hey, like maybe you want to be careful or you want to do this or do that. Like Mm -hmm. it's so hard because they're so deep in it. They choose their career path. They choose their life path at 17, 18 off of someone else. And, you know, like I said, it's a blessing that yours ended up that way. But in most cases, it's like, it doesn't work out. And one person wants something and the other ones don't. And you really want to go to this school, but they really want you to stay at home. And it's just like, and you don't know how to say no because you're madly in love at the time. So it's like, how how do you think you navigate that, I guess, with your children? Or what would you say to young people, how do you have that conversation when they're just like choosing their life basically out of high school? But your mom and you're cool, but like Daniel is the best thing I've ever met in my whole entire life. He came from God for me. How do you have that conversation? Oh gosh, that's a, that's a tough conversation to have with a child. And so I think at some point you have to, um, as a parent, number one, be open and honest with your children and, and, and having the ability to be able to communicate with them. Um, And I think um, if, if that person, as you uh, hypothetically called him, Daniel, if Daniel is there for that person, they'll be there for them when they graduate college as well. So um, these are times in your life that you won't be able to get back. Those are years in your life you won't be able to get back. So it's very important that you be able to do what God has placed on your heart to do. Um, and, And at 17, you don't know. I mean, like I said, I wanted to be an accountant, but you don't know at 17 um, because you really haven't had the opportunity to experience life. So you need to be able to um, get out a little bit um, away from mom and dad and find out what who you actually are and um, what it is that you actually like. And sometimes having that opportunity to do that because neither neither one of you really know who you are at 17 or 18. Um, so you have to grow. And I think fortunately for my husband and I, we grew together, which was a great thing. Um, what I, I'd be um, lying if I said that it wasn't, uh, it was, it wasn't hard because it is, it is, I mean, growing up is hard. And so growing up together is even, even more challenging. Um, but I think that would probably be the advice that I would give my kids. And um, those are some of the same conversations I did have with my children and um, fortunately, um, they didn't do what we did, and they turned out okay. And not again, not to say that it was a bad thing, because it's been a great thing. It's been a blessing. Um, but you're right. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way for everyone. Yeah, it's just, you know, when you're young and navigating through life, it's just like you just think, like, this is going to be the way, mom and dad. Even when you see 
your kids with friends, you see the friends come and go. And you just like, you know, they're so young and they, I think they just really want their independence more than anything. And they want to show you the parent or anybody that doubts them. I know what I'm doing. And it's like, we're coming from a place of love and we try to teach them like, just keep your options open. And like you said, if it's truly meant to be, that person will be there for you. It will be there. That person mm-hmm. will be understanding. And I think in life for all of us, we barely can control ourselves mentally. So it's kind of harsh to try to control somebody else. Like, don't go to that school because I'm not going to be there. I think all sure. of us have to allow, I think the word is grace. Like, we have to give each other grace. Even with talking to these kids, I think you just drop that little knowledge dart. Like, hey... Maybe you should keep your options open or this or that because it is, and you leave it alone because the more you peck at them, the more they rebel and go. The oh, absolutely. Way. So absolutely. it's really hard and it's really funny watching them go through that. And it's like, I wonder five years from now, how are we going to talk about this situation? I mean, sure. you, you hope that they get what they want. You know, they want to be with this person. They want to do these things, but also, as an older person, you have to realize, like, hey, I got to kind of shift you in a certain way. But I think as a parent, the only thing you can do is um, raise them the way that they should be raised. And then um, once they become an adult, you have to let them go and hope that what you have given them is sufficient enough. And then you also hope that people that they meet along this journey are there to um, put those little um, um, seeds of wisdom and knowledge in them and help guide them in this path Um, because they don't come with instructions when you have these children and they don't come with instructions when they grow and but we as parents depend on um, people who have paved the way forward for us to help us guide our children so that they make the right decisions. And um, I think that's important even as they leave home is that we pray as parents that the people that they interact with will be positive um, and help guide them to make the good paths and decisions that they need to make. So, Yeah. And it's like, I feel like most parents, I guess a good way as a parent to think of life is that you're the ultimate life coach. You're the coach in their You're the Phil Jackson. You're the great coach for them. And Mm -hmm. a great coach knows how to speak to each child, each player specifically, and they know what makes them go good and have a great game, and they know what makes them go bad. So I think from job, from birth, all the way until it's time for them to go out in the world, you're just trying to coach them a certain way because I think what will free a lot of parents too is that you got to realize – at some point, it's their decision. Like, there is nothing you can do. Whether your kid goes on and becomes great or they go on to go bad, you tried from zero to 17, 18, and you could only hope that I did the best coaching job that I did. That's it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is so true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in your field, were there a lot of black people in your field when you were doing it or – were you like the minority? Oh, gosh. So um, when I became a surgical technologist initially in my training in the early 90s, I was um, the only African-American in my class. So <laughs> um, but um, 
soon after or shortly after, um, you begin to see more minorities enter the profession. Um, and it also could be relative to where I lived as well. So I'm sure if I had moved to Atlanta after graduating um, my surgical technology program, I probably would have seen more minorities than um, what I had been exposed to. Um, but um, no, not initially, no. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess that's like, like you said, like in, that's great that you went to HBCU and did different things like that because you're exposed to that. But I mean, when you go in certain fields, it kind of dwindles off depending on where you're at. Yeah, it does. It does. Now the HBCU experience, how was that? We have a, um, a brother-in-law that uh, goes to Fort Valley right now. Mm -hmm. So how was it? And he say he loves it. You know, he loves it. He really does. So how was your HBCU experience? Um, My HBCU experience was, well, it's for the most part good. It was, it was different. It was um, a lot of first, first time leaving home, first time um, growing up in Connecticut. I grew up in a very multiple, cultural, multiple, diverse area in town. So leaving that and then going to an HBCU, um, was and first time being away from home those were all first for me that took an adjustment living in a dorm took an adjustment sharing a room with three other girls took an adjustment um so there were some changes that i um um, had to get used to but the the overall when i look back on it as an adult um it was probably a great experience and some of the best times that i had yeah and you know what it is i think it's just for whether you're at an HBCU or not, but I think HBCU is special because it's like if you're a black person, you have a lot of people that look like you. You have professors. For some people, they never had that. You know, they mm-hmm. may have been to, they may have, you know, I've noticed that a lot of middle class or upper class black students that grew up around a lot of predominantly white people, they want, they prefer to try to go to the HBCU to get that experience because they're not used to that. They're used to, you know, like I'm like one or two black people in my whole class, you know? So I think it's pretty amazing the HBCU, but number one is that like, like you said, is that you are all children, like being adults now, like you're getting a taste of this adult life and it's going to come with messiness and fights and arguments and pettiness. And we still children, but we acting like adults because we're I'm 18 now. And, you know, you go into parties and this and that. But it's just it's really interesting to watch young people navigate through life as you get older. And you realize the highs, the lows, the ups and downs. And you realize really the mentality. I think the funniest game to play is as you get older each year. You ask somebody, what age is considered old to you? And let me tell <laughs> you, it's going to change every year. It's going to be like, yeah, when you're when you're young, young, 16, you like, yeah, 30's old. And then you like, you get 21, and you're like, well, it's 40. And then you get 50, and you're like, well, 70-something's old. So it's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's just yeah. funny to navigate through life and to watch people go through life is a pretty interesting thing. It's true. That is, I, I agree. Yeah. So with your degree, what people may not know is that you can travel being a surgical tech or a central sterile tech. And that's what attracted me to go into central sterile is the idea mm-hmm. of traveling 
tell us a little bit a little bit about being able to travel with a degree um so being a surgical technologist does or central sterile tech does open up a lot of opportunities for you to um um um, live and in, in work in different states and in different areas um, throughout um, the country. And sometimes you can even go abroad as a surgical tech or CS tech, depending on the opportunities that present itself. Um, so for me, I was able to live um, in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, I've done assignments outside of Washington, D.C. I've done assignments um, in Louisville, Kentucky, um, Ohio, um, I've worked at two major teaching institutions in North Carolina as a traveler. So um, the experiences are things that I um, I actually still utilize today because some of the cases that I've got to see, some of the people that I've got to meet, I believe helped mold me to be um, a great surgical technologist. Just um, just having that opportunity to be put in the forefront of certain um, cases and you're expected to function. So I think that was when I did a lot of my growth as a surgical tech. And so um, a lot of those experiences I never take for granted. And um, going from one hospital to another hospital, although it may be the same procedure, there's two different doctors doing it. So they may not do it the exact same way, but you can take what you've learned from one physician um, and how they did it and go to another hospital and say, Hey, okay, Dr. So-and-so and so did it this way. Um, this might work or this will work. And, um, so it's, uh, um, it's just been a great experience. And again, being able to see different parts of the country, being able to take in, um, the cultures of the different areas that you've gone to, um, the people that you've met. Um, so it's, it's just been the savings are there. Um, because your your salaries are increased a lot more than the average person. Um, so I, it, it's just, it was a great experience for me to be able to do it. And I think, you know, everybody will think that is nice and that's great. But I think what they're really going to remember is that money is going to yeah, be, hey, I'm going to sum, sum it up for you guys. That money is going to be great because you're yeah. putting yourself out there, moving from where you're from, and then you're, going to get compensated for it so yes yes you will you will yeah the young yeah. the younger people that listen to the podcast they hey you're going to get paid guys so you know just if you want the money you're young you need to travel go get paid yep as long as you're in a position that you're able to do it then i i would highly recommend it so how did you get into teaching out of that oh that's a great question um so um after I began to settle down a little bit and my husband and I had our first child, um, the hospital that I worked at, um, one of um, a student came there for clinicals and the student asked me, um, um, they would always request me, can I come work with you? Can I come work with you? Can you teach me? And so that got back to the school. And so I got approached by one of the um, program directors at the college and said, hey, how would you like to come work for us? And so that's how I got into education. Um, I started off as a part-time instructor. And then while I was there, um, I thought, this is not for me. I don't know if I want to do this. I think I like being back in the hospital setting. But interesting, um, interestingly enough, I had um, a student 
who had been in education and who had been a teacher that was back in school training for something else. And she um, pulled me aside one day and she gave me some um, advice and it stuck with me. And the thing she said to me was, um, you're the subject matter expert. You know more than these students do. You're here to teach us. I'm here to learn from you because you have the experience that I want. And so that stuck with me and I thought, gee, she's actually right. And so I began to, to change how I thought about teaching and feel that I can give it back to others. And so that started um, this path for me 21 years ago. Wow. And thank you for your help. And that's why I wanted to have you on here because definitely meeting you and connecting with you. And then uh, my program was short. It's kind of just from January to July, basically (laughs) for me and Central Sterile for people interested but in that short span, and we only, it was COVID, it, we didn't meet each other that much, things like that. But in that time, we can tell from you as a teacher, you are a great nurturer, you're a natural motivational speaker to the people, and you give people life, and you give people encouragement. Do you feel like you get that a lot, or have you feel like you've just been a natural nurturer your whole life, and people gravitate towards you? Well, first, I'd like to say thank you, Reggie, for those comments. That was very nice of you. Um, I don't know if it's something, I guess I've always felt like I wanted to give back. And I um, I always feel like when I have students and I have children as a parent, I always look at my students to say, how would I want my kids to be treated? How would I want someone to give back to my kids? Um, and I also try to... Um, um, make it so that they can be bigger or better than what they were before. And so to me, I feel that that's most important in anything that I do. Um, I just also every morning, and I don't know if I shared this with you before too, but every morning before I enter my classroom, I ask for guidance. Um, I asked to, for me to be a beacon of change for my students um, because I want to um, to be able to help them. And, and if it's just one little thing that I can do to pave it forward for them is what I try to do. Um, so I'm grateful to be placed in this opportunity. I'm grateful for God's blessings upon my life to be a part of this opportunity, um, to be a part of this journey with anybody that comes to the college um, that chooses um, surgical technology, central sterile, or any other program. If I can be a help to them, I want to be that person. So um, I just, I just again, feel that it's my way or, or my, my place to be there at this given point in this given time. And I'm not there by chance. So um, that's, that's just who I am um, at this point. So definitely you do an amazing job you make everybody feel welcome you know whether you're a shy student you're an outspoken <laughs> student when they come into Ms. Hatcher's room they feel like I can be the best me and we thank you for that and definitely one of the things that was very amazing with you overall being great and wanting to push us and want us to be great what I thought was amazing is you talked about you develop a scholarship and hopefully people listening to this podcast could uh, donate to your scholarship fund. You know, hey, everybody, go ahead and donate to her. Uh, can you please tell us a little bit about the backstory, how you got this scholarship fund for students, how you develop your own scholarship for students, 
and how could we donate to it? Okay, so I um, I had a, a family member, my uncle, who was near and dear to me, and uh, he passed away. And so when he passed away, I wanted to try to figure out a way to honor who he was. And he was a great basketball player. He was well known um, in, in the town that he, he grew up in, but he never um, he never lived his life to his full, fullest potential. And so um, I kept thinking, how can I honor his legacy? What can I do? What can I do? I don't want to just give flowers. Um, you know, what can you do? And so I had this epiphany in the middle of the night and it said scholarship fund. And so I, um, I searched high and low to try to figure out how I can create this fund. I reached out to the high school that he went to. I reached out to several family members to try to help give me guidance. And then um, after um, I was about at the point where I was ready to give up, I found this website um, in this area in Pinellas County. And they had the, um, I reached out to someone there and they called me back and they were like, oh yes, absolutely. You can set up a scholarship fund here. And so they kind of helped guide me through um, the process of setting one up. And so I did a one-time scholarship fund of um, $500 and it was, and I set criteria up for that scholarship and it had to be for a minority male student. And they, um, they could attend any school that they wanted to, but they had to meet certain income criteria. Um, they had to write an essay um, and then based on those, and then I, I um, selected key family members for us to look at the scholarship applications and see if they fit what um, would have represented him as a young man. And so from that, we chose um, an applicant. The unfortunate thing about all of this is it happened during COVID and applications were very minimum. So um we only got two applicants for the scholarship. So I would say, um, and I got very little, I got very little donations um, for the scholarship. So um, I ended up, I think I had two family members donate and then I ended up funding the rest of the scholarship, my husband and I did, um, so that the student was able to um, obtain the scholarship. So moving forward, um, the scholarship is still there, but because of the lack of um, interest that I had gotten from students um, that I no longer funded at this time, it's just in hold in, in, in I don't want to say in limbo, it's there, but until we can get more active participants in, um, in, in interest in wanting to go to the school or go to college, then I would reconsider um, restarting it back up again. But it's very challenging um, when you see that this money is there. And that goes for a lot of people that I know that have started scholarships that that money is there, but a lot of people aren't applying for it. So there's free money just sitting there that nobody's taking advantage of. Now, how is it found? Because for me, I could have a next door neighbor and I would not know at all. And I'm struggling, like I need 500 for books. And I may not know, like, literally next door, this person has a scholarship fund. How does it go about people finding your scholarship? So my scholarship is only available to people that live in Pinellas County, Florida. Oh. So it's not anything that's available to anybody throughout the United States. Oh. They have to meet certain criteria. They have to be a graduate of a certain high school. 
Um, but with that being said, there are a lot of scholarships that are available to students at colleges, but people don't apply to them. They don't apply to get them. Um, even when my daughter was in college, we found scholarships that she was the only applicant for. So by default, she was able to obtain them. Um, and that happens as well um, at Southern Crescent. There are scholarships that are there for students and um, we'll get emails that say, we haven't gotten any applicants, please encourage students to apply. And so there's free money there, but we just have to get the students to um, apply for the scholarships. And, but they're yeah. there. And you know what it is too? I think like, I think some students may not even want to do it or they don't really know about college. They're nervous, so they don't put that extra mm -hmm. effort into finding these scholarships and stuff like that. Or for some people, they just think it's only in Georgia. We have the hope. They only think like if you low income, that's the only way. It's like, and you know, and for some students, too, they don't have help. They trying to navigate college on their own. So they just only know these two ways, like the Hope Scholarship in Georgia, meaning in Georgia where if you make a 3.0, I think it is, throughout your school career, you can have free scholarship throughout college as long as you maintain that 3.0. Or like for me, if you come here, you live here for a year, you're a resident of Georgia for a year, you get, you're eligible for the Hope Scholarship or the Hope Grant where that I mean, you don't pay for college and I didn't pay for anything for a long mm -hmm. time because I stayed on top of that. And I thought like and it's just I guess it's a matter too of taking things for granted, because a lot of kids in Georgia, when I speak to my wife and stuff, it's like they lose their hope scholarship quickly or they don't care about it. And it's like, do you know how amazing that is? If you complete this thing, you didn't pay a dime for school. Sure. And you make all this money with a scholarship, but you paid zero dollars. But I don't know. It's just it's like a hard thing to navigate when it comes to free money. But also, I've been jogging my brain about this idea of that. Like, I think in other countries in the ninth grade or something like that, you kind of go towards what you're going to do in life, because I really think that a lot of kids get burnout at a certain mm -hmm. time that's why like you're like you're in your senior year why are you messing up in school why are you not doing your work i really feel like there's a burnout and definitely by ninth grade sometimes for basic life skills you're gonna pretty much know math you're gonna know writing you're gonna know these things and i feel like a lot of kids get burnt out when it gets 12th grade and then a lot of kids also feel forced to go to college where maybe they didn't want to go to college. So it's just a really strange thing. I think that as a whole, as America, as a country in different places, we have to really navigate why these things happen when kids get older and you thinking like you should mature. But I really feel like they're burnt out a lot of times by 12th and on into college. They could be, but I also feel like, again, um, it takes people to continuously encourage these students. It takes people like yourself who could mentor um, young men and women um, to show them that there are different career paths that are out there. Um, it takes people to um, um, show them different career paths. Exposure, I think is a huge path. If they can see themselves in that role or doing that job, then that's half the battle. 
if they can see themselves in that role or in that job, then our job is to now say, okay, you can do this. We have these scholarships available to you. We have this financial aid available to you. We have these different types of grants available to you so that you could um, make this happen. I mean, we're, um, they're our next generation. And so if we don't invest in them now, what's going to happen to us when we become old? If we never taught them anything or if we never left them with the wisdom that our parents have given us or our grandparents have given us, where, where are we as a, as a, as a country? Where we, we don't have that if we don't invest back into them. So I think it's imperative that we give the, the next generation the skills and the tools that they need to be successful. Yeah, and I, you know, and then marketing is such a big thing, you know, because marketing is something like you take something like Aquafina and it's water. It's literally water. It's something that when you were younger, I was younger, we drank water out the sink or you drank water like sure. the idea mm-hmm. of somebody selling you something out of a sink is like, this doesn't make sense. Why would I ever pay for that? And I think we have to market its way. And I think a lot now with podcasts, especially, is that the media is not controlling it. People are controlling it. And the way we can control things and the way we speak to children and younger people is that, hey, check this out. You don't really know what you want to do in life right now. You don't have this passion for art, for cooking, for something that, you know, I may not need school. I can just go and do this. I could do hair. I could do these different things, even though you need it for hair and different things too <laughs> yeah but it's like you got to talk to kids like yo check this out right look you go you get all this money for school we get all these grants you go you check it out you have fun y'all partying you getting money you getting free money you having the time of your life you're not living with adults you're not doing none of that just do sure. your little school work you can stay there have fun get your stuff before you know it, four years, you already did 12. You did school all these years, K through 12. What's a little four years? Knock it out, live your life, get you a little place, apartment, then you be done. It's not, but I think what they hear is like, you got to sit in class again. You got to do this again. You got to go on time. You got to get good grades. They don't hear it like that. So I think we have to market to kids like, hey, this may look like just a regular bottle of water, but this is a different thing to you that can be amazing. It could be great. It could really change you. I think the language of school has to like change for kids and get them really motivated because it really honestly, it scares me. What I see now is you look out in the world of the workforce and even when you go to a grocery store, a restaurant here, there, it's like, it's bad out there. It's really bad. People are not making no money from that. If you work in regular job, you don't make no money like that. So it's so like, hey, go get this degree real quick in something that you're semi-interested in and it could grow into something you're really interested in. But it's like it's just not registering right now. And a lot of kids are cool with staying home right now and doing nothing. And it scares me. It really does. But- I think to you, um, as I said, you have to um, begin to mold them. And sometimes even after all the molding that you can do and the exposure that you do, sometimes college is just not for that individual or maybe not at that time. And um, I mean, I could personally say that for my son. He was um, 
we molded him to go to college. My husband's a college graduate. I'm a college graduate. We tried to, we took him on tours to see schools, but that's just not what he wanted at that time. And so he chose a different path, which is the military. And it's been great for him. And so um, with that, we still are encouraging go to school, um, get training while you're there. So I just think sometimes it just takes mentoring. If it's not what you want to do right now, that's okay. But you've got to do something to position yourself so that when you do become an adult, that you're able to do um, what it is that makes you happy, what it is that will allow you to be self-sufficient. Um, and as a parent, I think any parent's main goal is to make sure that their kids can take care of themselves. When we're long gone, we want to make sure that they have the skills or heck, they may even have to take care of you. Um, and so you want to be able to know that they can do that. Hey, if, if I need my children, can they take care of me? Or once we're gone away from this earth, can they take care of themselves? So I think um, that's something that parents always want for their children. And, and it starts, as I continuously said, with us. We have, to, um, we have to make sure that we instill in them what it is that they need to be successful. Um, and again, it may not be everybody has to go to a four-year college. It could be a two-year technical college. It can be a certificate program. It could be anything from even just learning a skill like carpentry or welding, something that will make them marketable um, in the future. And, so. and I think that's what it is. You hit it right on the head. That's what me and my wife talk about all the time is literally like as a parent, all I want to do is be able to leave this earth knowing that you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. If I'm already fighting illness, it's going to make it worse because I'm going to put stress on myself because I know you cannot take care of yourself right now. So I think what young people need to realize is that all parents mostly want to do is know that, like, I'm on you so much because I just want you to be okay. They hear, oh, they're annoying. They're always saying <laughs> stuff to me like, I don't like school. Like, why are you like, I'll figure it out in a year or two or this. Like, it's like, no, like life moves on with or without us and some of us are not going to be here so it's like in that i just want to make sure you're okay that's like sure. literally to sum up being a parent is like me to coach you to get to a point that in this life whether i'm here or not you're okay that yep. that's literally like it in a nutshell and like you said too and that was one of my questions i was going to ask in today's time with technology, with podcasts, this podcast takes off. I make all this money and I've never had a four year degree, this, that, whatever. How do you feel now versus the entrepreneurship versus like going to a regular school? Because now a lot of things are open with this Internet and phone and accessibility. So how do you feel it matches up? Because for me, I feel like it depends on the person. And it has to make sense because financially, like, yeah, a podcast can work, but it could take a long time and you have no money and you could be broke, broke. So mm -hmm. obviously school is going to help you out. But how do you feel now and you being a teacher, the shift that you've seen, I guess, from you were a child as to now with the Internet and like if you do nails, if you do if you fix cars on the side, like people are turning these things, even I I. Uh, review water every day and i have millions of people watching and pay me how do you feel now about the traditional route versus like entrepreneur routes nowadays 
Um, I still, I guess I'm a little old school. I still always feel that you need to have um, a piece of paper. Yes. And, and not necessarily a piece of paper that says you have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or a PhD or an associate's degree. It's not that. I think you have to have a marketable skill behind you. And so it's okay to do um, all these other things. But what happens when all of those other things end? You still need to have a skill. What happens if we have no longer have the internet? How are you going to make ends meet? Um, there's always going to be the need to have a welder. You're always going to have to get your car fixed. You're always going to have to have health care. So those are the things that I feel that are critical. So those those things are are great. But I guess with me being more of a, an old school person, I feel that the skills are still the most important thing that you need to have. And I think that could be summed up as insurance. Mm-hmm. You don't want to crash your car, but in the case that you do crash your car, you won't have to pay for it and they'll give you the money to get another one. So I, I think what you're saying is absolutely right about like, you know, HVAC, these people that fix air, I think about like you hustle, you you get an HVAC, you work for a company, you figure out the company. Uh, yeah, I've studied someone before and it said infiltrate, educate, vacate. So you become an HVAC person, you learn how to fix air from this company, you see how you can do it on your own and you vacate and you make all this money and that certificate probably takes no time and people it's summertime and like you're gonna be busy as i don't know what because air is gonna mess up and it's like this is not a traditional way this is not what your parents thought when they seen you like they're gonna be hvac guy you know or girl they're not gonna think that but it's an untraditional way that you can make some money and figure it out but always like education and what we say even when it comes to the military even if you go for two years just do your first term they're going to pay you to go to school. That's a way. That's another trick around paying for school. Uh-huh. They're going to pay you to do it. Just go in there, do it. You like it? Nah, you don't like it? You get out. You gonna? They're going to pay you. So we got what we needed from the U.S. military. So you know, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Even for my brother, he um, his school wasn't for him. Like your son, it it really wasn't for me like that either. But it um, for him, it just was like he's been to uh, he just came back from Japan. He's been to places near Russia. Uh, He's been to Brazil and lived there. He's been to Africa and lived there for a while. He's done all these things and he knew that school wasn't for him, but he made things happen. And he's very well equipped to take care of himself. You know, my brother bought a car straight out and I was like telling him like i don't think you understand like a new car i'm like people don't do that you know like people do not have the financial ability to just pay for a car straight out you know and i just tell him like and that's what i told him going in i said look if they're gonna take it out your check anyway food and stuff like that you make sure you save a lot of your money and he said what happens in the military a lot a lot of people spend this money they buy these cars and buy these things not knowing if they're going to be able to re-enlist because you got to keep your body a certain way. You got to, 
keep your stuff clean a certain way. You got to do these things. And he said, well, he realized a lot of the younger people, they go and ball out and spend all this money thinking like, oh, I'm going to still have this. And you don't know. So it's very <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Um, I, I just think that um, um, whatever path a young person chooses or even an older person chooses, um, because sometimes, as you know, we get students who come back that are um, late bloomers and that's okay, or second careers, and that's okay. But whatever you choose, um, be happy with that choice. And if you finish that program and you decide this is not for me, that's okay too. At least you have something that no one can take away from you. And that's the education that you've gained. And, and that's yours. That's yours regardless of whatever situation life they bring you. That's a piece of paper that you have that is always yours. And that's what it was for me, too. It was like for me going and, you know, for me, what my career path with school is like, I didn't know nothing. I didn't know what I wanted to do out of school. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I flirted with the idea of being a teacher, which I feel like I wish I would have did. But I was living in California. I knew I didn't want to be there. So which was dumb and no guidance. I was like, well, I'm not going to be here anyway after school. So I'm not going to go into nobody's school. You can transfer. It's a thing called transferring. So I should have signed up for somebody's school. Did not. Waited till the April of the next year. Moved to Georgia. But then I found out about Hope Scholarship. So with Hope Scholarship, I'm like, I really don't know what I want to do. I just want to make some money. So I'm like, oh, I'll do radiology. But in that journey, it's been so hard to get into these certain programs. And they're more mm -hmm. lenient now. But when I first moved here, it was very, very hard and I tried for years and years and also students and young people putting your eggs in one basket. You got to kind of diversify because you'll spend years and years sometimes on one thing and it'll mess you up. I spent years and years on radiology and just to get to the entry program and fail twice by two points. It was very discouraging and it really, really pushed me away from school because it's like, did all these years, I have great grades, but I can't get in off of two points. Sure. Discourages you. Then I, you know, quit school for a couple of years, forget about it. Then I get into the central sterile thing. And I got this certificate, like you said, nobody could take it away from me. I could take it different places, but it's also my insurance because my passion is this podcast to help people, is the arts. I love photography. I love all things and I love entrepreneurship. I think the greatest thing I've heard is to own your 24 hours. I think there's nothing more beautiful in this world than nobody can tell me what to do with my 24 hours. I created a business and a financial income for myself where I own 24 hours every day. I can, uh -huh. I think it was beautiful because me even with getting the central sterile certificate, I was able to do something I couldn't do before work 12 hours. So sure. you learn life and you learn what you like in life. I don't like working for people. So if I <laughs> could work for people for the least amount of time, because I do need money, I could work three days and I could be off four. So you uh -huh. just navigate your life and you narrow and you figure out what makes Reggie go. What makes Miss Hatcher go like, and you just try to mold your life and you go on this journey. But life has a lot of ups and downs and you just got to keep yourself motivated 
that you're going to figure this thing out. For most people, and that's what my podcast about. I call it This Is Recorded because these are recorded conversations that you yourself, Miss Hatcher, when you're down or you feel like I didn't do nothing in this world, you can go back and look at it. For other people that's feeling lost, I bring people on that are doing things and creating ways in life and trying to make a better way for themselves first and then others. And I use this platform to motivate. So I think that's what it is in the end. You just want to motivate people to live the best life they can. Well, I think I think uh, that's probably part of your purpose. Yeah. And so um, um, thank you for that. And thank you for um, letting me uh, be a part of this platform. And hopefully my words have said something that may have encouraged someone who listens, um, if, if at minimum, at least to consider going to school or, or reconsider a path for them that they may have thought may have been closed. And then in closing, one of my last two things uh, is just that for the average young black students, you may know the struggle, you know, different obstacles and things they may face. You know that in the household, they're the first sometimes to go to college and to do things. What do you say to that young girl or that young boy that just like didn't have no guidance? They come from parents that they like, hey, I just want you to get out this house when you're 18. And, you know, there's no real encouragement. There's no love there. What do you say to motivate them far as like, I guess, school and just trying to find themselves? What do you say to that lost person, I guess? Well, um, first and foremost, I would say um, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Number one, um, I would say that. Uh, number two, I would say surround yourself by people who are encouraging um, that will believe in you as well. Um, try not to be around discouragers um, because that only changes the mentality in the way that you think. So um, place yourself around people who will encourage you and believe in you as well. Um, as a young person leaving home for the first time or trying to navigate in college, um, connect with um, peer groups on campus um, that could be a support person to you. There's a ton of student support services that are out there um, that are willing to help uh, students grow and help nav navigate through those challenges. And sometimes their challenges are, are within home. Um, but if, if that is a challenge that you have within home, you have to take little small steps, get yourself in a position where you can get out of that situation so that you can only move towards improving yourself. Um, but the biggest thing would be surround yourself by positive people and role models and people that are going to encourage you. Sometimes you have to change the narrative if you want your situation to change. So, Yeah, and I truly believe that that's the biggest because life is going to go. You're going to lose people. You're going to have health problems. Mm -hmm. You're going to have financial problems. But having those people around to pick you up or having those people to even pinpoint Something's not right with Miss Hatcher today. Something's not right with Tammy today. Like, but I know you because you surround yourself with good people, they're gonna pick up on it. But if you're around people that drink and smoke every day and they not they don't even know what's going on, so they're not gonna pay attention to you. Yep. Or you don't have it at home. So what you said is very important. And the last thing we do when we get out of here, we call it speaking to existence. This time next year, Miss Hatcher. How do you feel you will like impact people more in your life? I guess this time next year, next summer, how do you feel like 
your impact will help people? Oh, wow. Well, this time next summer, I hope or I'm prayerful that I would have graduated even more students um, in, in um, Central Sterile Supply. And I, and I hope that them graduating will allow them to um, create opportunities for themselves that may not have been there before. I'm hoping that I will allow that single parent or who, who's never worked a day in their life because they have um, been on um, the need for support from public assistance to now be able to um, have their first job to now be able to maybe purchase that first home that they wanted to. And they can look back on these times and say, gee, it all started from me making that first step to go to school. So I hope next year and in future years that my health strength and, and, and my platform that I'm allowed to have as an instructor will just continue to help grow and instill um, nuggets of education in them so that they can realize the potential that they can have or that each person has that they can grow and to be who it is that they want to be. And this so. is recorded.